Hey, welcome to Mile Straight. Good to see you here today. Uh, I've told you about my reoccurring nightmare, that one day I'm going to hop up here and nobody's going to be here. You came for the singing, came for the music, came for that part of the worship service, and then you got up and left, and it just frightens me. So when I get up and I see you still here, it just excites me. So I'm excited this morning. Hey, I do want to uh, begin by saying congratulations to our graduates what a brilliant group of people. We're so glad you're part of Mile Straight and can't wait to see how God uses you in the future. So excited for that. If you would, in your bulletin, you'll find a study guide. If you'll take that out, feel free to grab a clipboard and a pen from the book rack. And let's get into our discussion. Uh, we started a, uh, what we called an infrequent series back oh, five weeks ago. And it's been just about anything but infrequent since. I intended just to drop it in as things came up, but it seems like uh, God just keeps putting these things on my heart. And uh, so instead of being infrequent, it's a frequent series. Uh, we will get back to Psalm 119 and complete that study as long as that's where God leads. But uh, for this week and most likely next week, we're going to be here discussing this particular concept and we're going to be asking frequently asked questions and resolving those questions with answers from God's Word. Now, the first question this morning, and the first question is one that for some of you is going to be a little more difficult than for others. And it's going to be, for some of those that it's difficult, uh, it's going to be for very obvious reasons. Maybe you've experienced this in your family. But for others, it's going to be difficult for another reason, and it's just because of your upbringing, the way you were brought up, the things you were taught. I can tell you if you've got a, a Catholic background or an Episcopalian background, it's probably going to be a little more difficult for you than it would be for others. But what I would like to ask you to do, in fact, what I'm just going to ask you to do, is, is just to wait with me. To, to just allow me to walk through the process of explaining why I believe what I believe and showing you from God's Word why I believe what I believe so that at the end maybe we come to the same conclusion. But if at the end we don't come to the same conclusion, then here's what I would ask you to do. I, I'm not teaching this to belittle you or to, to put you on the spot. That's not even in the picture. What I would like to do is give you an opportunity once we've finished, you just come talk to me after church and we'll set up a time when we can just, we can just explain it out. We'll just, we'll just sit down together, you can share your view, I'll share my view, and hopefully we can come to a meeting of the minds there. If not, we'll depart as friends because it's not about a debate, it's not about an argument, it's simply about uncovering truths from God's Word. That's what my heart is all about and so I hope you're on the same page with me. And uh, so if you have a problem with it, then just hang on, come see me after church, and we'll talk about it, okay? All right, so what is this question? Number one, your first fill-in, ask the question, is it possible for someone who's committed suicide to go to heaven? Is it possible for someone who's committed suicide to go to heaven? And I would ask a follow-up question. In fact, I'm going to begin with the follow-up question. Um, or are they banned from heaven forever? 
Are they banned from heaven forever? That's not on your sheet, but that's where I want to begin because I think it leads us nicely into the correct answer uh, for, the, for the main part of this question. And is, are they banned forever? I, want to, I just want to hit this very directly because if a person steps from this life into eternal life and they do not find themselves in heaven, then they will find themselves in hell. Okay, so this is very blunt, it's very direct, it's very much from Scripture. But if a person leaves this life and they are not ushered by the angels into heaven, then they will, as the rich man did in Luke chapter 16, wake up in hell being in torment in the flames. Okay, so then if someone wakes up in hell, they find themselves in hell after they leave this life, please understand that the answer to that is yes, they will be banned from heaven forever. Because there is no departure from hell. Luke 16, the passage I mentioned just a second ago. The Bible says that the rich man lifted up his eyes in torment, in the flame, and he looked out and he saw Abraham and Lazarus afar off. Now this kind of plays back to what we talked about last week. One of the questions last week, will I recognize people? Will I know them? And we said, yeah, you will know them. He knew Lazarus on earth. And so when he looked out, he saw Lazarus. He recognized Lazarus. But we also believe that they, we will know people that, that we didn't know on earth. That uh, those that have died thousands of years before, such as Abraham had done the rich man, the rich man looked out and somehow he knew Abraham. That to me is an amazing thought, but somehow he knew who Abraham was. And he saw Abraham and Lazarus, and he cried out, and he said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and, and allow Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and come and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. Tormented in this flame. Do you remember what Abraham responded? Abraham said to him, he said, but the problem is there's a great gulf that's fixed between us. And so those that would pass from me to you can't, and those that would pass from you to me can't. It's, it's impossible. In other words, where you are, it's where you're going to be forever and forever and forever. It's the simple truth. If we decide that we want to pay the price of our own sin, our own rebellion, breaking God's commandments, if we decide that we want to do that and reject Jesus Christ, we leave this life in that condition, we enter into the place called hell, which will eventually be dumped into the lake of fire, and there we will be for all of eternity paying for our own sin, and we will never satisfy the debt. It will never be paid. Never. That's a very very sad, a very awakening thought, is it not? Someone would actually leave this life when they had an opportunity to know Christ, rejected Him, and therefore spent eternity paying the price of their sin. So then let's go back to the original question now. Can someone who's committed suicide go to heaven? And here's the answer. I wish you'd write the answer down, but then also write some additional notes with this. The answer is yes, they can. Can. Now let me begin with those who would oppose that opinion. Uh, they would uh, say, but the, the problem with that, Tom, is that if someone commits suicide and they die 
after that, they haven't had an opportunity to confess that sin, and therefore there's no evil that enters into heaven. There, there's sin in their life. They can't go to heaven, right? I mean, it makes sense, right? To use that logic then would not only apply to suicide, would it? Because sin is sin. The Bible says we've all sinned and that sin causes us to fall short of God's glorious standard. So then if I fall short of God's glorious standard as a result of sin in my life, rebellion against God, breaking God's commandments, it really doesn't matter if it was suicide or telling a little lie. It doesn't matter if it was murder or stealing a paper clip. It doesn't matter if it was uh, adultery or, or telling a false thing about one of my neighbors. It really doesn't matter. Sin is sin. That causes this distance between us and God. And therefore, if there's sin in my life, regardless of what it is, it would prevent me from going to heaven if it's unconfessed at the time of my death, right? Okay, if you follow that logic, that's what you have to come to. The same, that's the conclusion you have to come to. That if there's unconfessed sin in my life when I die, it doesn't matter what that sin is. But the great blessing of God's incredible salvation is that God did not just forgive the sin we had committed until the time, but that God forgave the past, the present, and the future. That when Jesus Christ died on the cross, he took the sin of the world upon him. Our sin was still in the future. All of it was still in the future. And he died for all of our sin. It wasn't that he died for our sin until the point that we come to Christ and then, well, he's got to do it again. Because now I've sinned again. There's no more forgiveness. He's got to do it again. Now, God forgives me eternally. The Bible says that my sin will never again be remembered, that it's removed as far as the east is from the west from me. Now, that to me is an incredible blessing, that God has extended such an incredible grace, such an incredible mercy to me, that he will never bring my sin up again. Now, I'm dealing with a question that we're going to answer later on. And in fact, I don't think we're going to get to it today. It'll probably be next week. But uh, question number three, I believe it is, we probably won't get there. So hang on to that thought for next week and we'll, we'll open it up again. So then if God has forgiven me all of my sin, then my response has to be, that I go to heaven not based upon what I've done or what I haven't done, but solely on what Jesus Christ has done. Okay, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. That God has given to us a gift of salvation. It's not of works so that we don't have room to boast about it. So then if salvation is a gift from God, a gift that he doesn't take back, then it's not based upon what I do before, during, or after my salvation as far as my sin is concerned or my good works are concerned. It's solely based upon the completed work of Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary. Completely. So then, because I am a sinful person, because I am a human before, during, and after my salvation. 
A human who is prone to rebel against God. A human who is prone to, to wander and stray away from God. Is it possible for someone who has committed any sin, whether it be suicide or lying or murder or adultery, or, to go to heaven with unconfessed sin? And the answer is absolutely. Why? Because Jesus paid the price of all my sin. Now, with that being said, I think it's important for us not to, to minimize what suicide is all about. I think it's important for us not to say, well, okay, so it's not really that big of a deal then, is it? Because it certainly is a big deal. Suicide is nothing short of murder, where we are killing something that was created in the image of Almighty God. Needlessly murdering something that was created in the image of Almighty God. I say needlessly because there are times when it's important that that take place, right? I mean, there are times when our military, defending our country, defending the rights of Americans have to do that. There are times when our police officers, bless their hearts, when they have to engage someone and they have to take their life to protect others or to protect themselves. They are responsible before God to do that very thing and it's needful that they do it. There are times when someone has killed someone and therefore their life must be taken. And I believe very much in capital punishment. It is when we show people that there is a consequence to what they do that they stop doing it. They, want, they don't want to do that anymore. When God disciplines us for straying away from Him because He knows the center of His will is best for us, when He disciplines us, it's designed to make us stop and say, you know what, I, I don't want to do that anymore. David, you remember the study of Psalm 119, when he's on his face because of his sin, he's at the point of death. And then later he's crying out, he said, God, you've got to teach me, you've got to instruct me. I don't ever want to go back there again. I don't ever want to be back in that place again. It's designed to keep us from doing it. I believe very much in capital punishment. There's times when it's very, very needful. But then there are also times when it's not needful. When it's unnecessary. When it is nothing short of murder. You say, well, so what? I mean, if I commit suicide, I die, I go to heaven if I'm saved, and therefore it's no big deal. I mean, I'm not going to be here on earth to suffer the consequences, but I believe very much that those who engage in such an action when they get to heaven are going to realize what they have done. They are going to hurt. They are going to suffer such such shame and embarrassment and humiliation when they see how they have hurt our Savior. When they see how they have offended Almighty God. And you say, well, they're stuck with that then forever and ever. No, I believe at some point that's going to be removed. I don't know exactly when that is. We're going to talk about that in question number two a little bit. But, uh, but I do believe that it at the point they enter into heaven, there will be a consequence. There will be an embarrassment and a shame for what they have done. And so is it possible for someone who's committed suicide to go to heaven? And the answer is absolutely yes, but it depends upon the relationship they've had with Jesus Christ. 
Do they know Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior or have they rejected him? Ultimately, there's the answer. I mean, ultimately, there's the question we need to be asking each other. Not, not what do you think about suicide, but really what do you think about this relationship with Jesus Christ? So then let's jump to the second question. The second question is based upon the thought that most of us will have in common. And that is that, you know what, I have family members and friends who have died and I do not believe they've gone to heaven. Now I know that in this life I still have hope. There's hope that maybe on their deathbed or in their last few minutes of life or whatever, at some point during their life they asked God to forgive them and Jesus to be Lord and Savior of their life. So I've still got that hope within me. But when I get to heaven, and I'm going to know. I mean, I'm going to know they're either there or they're not there. And so then the question is this, in heaven, how will I deal with the grief of knowing that I have loved ones in hell? In heaven, how will I deal with the grief of knowing that I have loved ones who are in hell? You know, I think this is, this is also an incredibly tough question. Not so much because of the answer. I, I think we're going to find the answer to be pretty cut and dried. But because of the emotion involved here. I mean, for us to know that. Can you imagine the hurt? Can you imagine the sorrow? But the Bible does give us some clarity. It says in Revelation chapter 21 and verse 4. If you want to write that reference down, you can check it out later. Revelation 21, verse 4, that God will wipe away all tears from their eyes. God will remove all tears from their eyes, which means that at some point, God is going to remove from us the emotion, the grief, the pain, at some point. And you say, how in the world... Could he do that? <laughs> and I got to tell you, I, I don't know the answer to that. And, and I, that's just me being honest with you because when I think about that pain, when I think about that internal hurt to know that we have loved ones who would be in hell, I just think how in the world could God, how, how could God take that grief away? Yeah. And yet, the great thing about this is that I'm not God. My ways are not His ways. My thoughts are not His thoughts. And, and we're all very blessed by that. <laughs> but I've got a couple of thoughts, and I, I think they're very scriptural. I'll share those with you. I think, first of all, there's going to be a new understanding when we get to heaven. That God will give us an understanding of sin. He will give us an understanding of, of rejecting Jesus Christ and what that really is all about. We'll get to see how horrible that action really is. And God will reveal to us an understanding of, of all these things that we can't really accept right now. We don't really know right now. 
And so there'll be a new understanding. I'm not saying that we'll have necessarily the understanding of God, but I think to some extent he will give us an understanding of, of life and sin and repentance and Christ's sacrifice. We will see it much more clearly than we can right now. But I think an even better answer probably comes from uh, the book of Isaiah chapter 65, and I think it's verse... 17, yeah, Isaiah 65 and verse 17, where God is speaking, and listen to what he says. Write the reference down. You can go check it out later. God says, behold, I will create new heavens and a new earth. The former things will not be remembered, nor will they come to mind. See, I believe that at some point in the future, God will wipe away the memories of the past. Now, in my opinion, that even in itself is a little bit cold. You mean I'm just going to forget my loved ones? I'm going to forget my family? And I, once again, I don't have all the answers here. I don't claim to have all the answers. But I do believe that at some point in the future, God's going to wipe away the tears. He's going to wipe away the memories of these things. And you may come back and say, okay, well, but what about Revelation chapter 6? Revelation chapter 6 says that those who died for Christ, the martyrs during the tribulation period, will be under the throne of God in this, this room, this holding place, and they will be crying out to God for a vengeance. They will remember the suffering they suffered on earth. They will remember their deaths. And they will be waiting on God to avenge their death. So what do, we, what do we conclude there? If they remember, then how can we think that God's going to wipe that away? It's a pretty good question, right? And yet what we have to remember is that that's taking place during the tribulation period. That's taking place during a time when God's wrath and judgment is being poured out upon mankind. That's not when I believe God will wipe away the tears, wipe away the memories. I believe that won't happen until after the great white throne judgment. I don't think it's possible for us to stand at the great white throne judgment and watch those who have rejected Jesus Christ, family members and friends come by and hear them say, but, but no one ever told me, or, or my, my family, right there they were, but they never even shared that with me. I think it's going to be incredibly hard for us to hear Jesus pass judgment upon them and say, depart from me, you workers of iniquity, I never knew you. You will be cast into outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And to watch them carried and thrown into the lake of fire. I think that there's no way possible for us to stand there heartless and not shed tears. I don't think it's going to be possible. So I believe that this time is going to come after that point. But allow me, if you will, to, to hit one more thought. Because in my estimation, wouldn't it be far better to ask the question... How can I prevent that grief instead of how am I going to deal with it? So then, how do we go about preventing grief when we get to heaven? You know, I think the answer is very simple and straightforward, and that is that we do everything we possibly can while we're here 
to prevent our loved ones from going to hell. That we share our faith with them. You know, I, I know this isn't everything, but statistics say that only 5% of church-going people ever invite anyone to come to a service with them. Yeah, that's quite astounding. When another statistic says that 72 or 78% of people say that if a close friend or a family member would only invite them, they would go to church with them. That that many people say, I, I would go if someone would invite me, but only 5% of us are actually doing it. I think it's a shocking statistic. I think it ought to, to wake us up in the middle of the night, that there ought to be tears on our pillow, that, that we would fall into the category of, oh, well, you do what you can. I'll suffer the consequences later. And so wouldn't it be much better for us then to say, okay, now what do I need to do in order to prevent this from taking place? What do I need to do in order to keep this from happening? What do I need to do to keep me from having grief later down the road? Four or five years ago, I stood up here and shared with you 16, 17, 18, I can't remember exactly how many it was, things that, that I had deep regret about. And it involved my wife and my daughter. And I didn't share those with you so that I would look like an idiot or so that you would say, wow, what a waste of humanity he is. You know, It wasn't to embarrass myself, although most of those things probably played out in the course of that discussion. But what I really wanted was to be able to talk to you and say, you know what? I've got these regrets, but you don't have to. When you get to my age... You don't have to carry the same regrets that I'm carrying. You can learn from my mistakes. You can learn from my failures. And I really think that this is the same thing. That we begin now to determine that we're going to start planting seeds of faith in the lives of our loved ones and friends that are not uh, in the family of God. That we begin to sow those little seeds of faith. That we begin to tell them of God's goodness to us. That we begin to tell them how great God has been to us. How he's blessed our lives. That we begin to share with them a passage of Scripture that is especially important to us or has made an impact on our lives. That we begin to tell them about Jesus and invite them to the Savior. Not to the point of harassing, not to the point of belittling or condemning, but simply sharing something that's important to, the, to us with them. And when that's not possible, that we extend an invitation to come to the church. Because we know if people come here, they're going to hear about the gospel. They're going to hear about Jesus Christ. And so we just make a determination. You know what? I'm going to do what I need to do, what I can possibly do to prevent the grief on the other side of, of death. So then what do we do with this information? You know, I think for, for those who do not know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, that today, man, my prayer has been for you that, that you just come to know Him as Savior. And you say, I don't know how to do that. I mean, how do I go about that? Let me tell you a very simple way, and it involves a very difficult first step. 
And that is, in just a minute, I'm going to ask you to stand. The instrumentalist will come, and Jason will come to sing. When he does, he's going to sing a song that opens an invitation for you. It's just an invitation for you to respond to the message. And what I'm going to ask you to do during that time is to take that first difficult step toward the aisle that's closest to you. Hey, there's no way to sugarcoat that one. I know that step's tough. I remember making that step myself back a long time ago. And so what I'm going to ask you to do and invite you to do is to make that first step and just come and meet me right here at the front. We're not going to embarrass you, not going to call out your name, not ask you to join anything or give anything. Truly, we just want to share Jesus Christ with you. We want to share God's plan of salvation with you. So if you'd like to know more about that, what would you do with this information is when the opportunity presents itself for you just to come and allow us to share God's plan of salvation with you. For those of us who know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, I think what we would do with this information, my prayer for us is that we begin to take seriously the matter of sharing Christ with other people. And where would we start? Maybe simply by asking yourself, when was the last time you even invited someone to church? Think about it for just a second. When was the last time you invited someone just to come to church? Can you remember a time? Man, this, this is tough. This is hard nose, right? This is right in the face. But I think it's where we've got to start. That we then proceed to confess it before God. God, man, I've blown that, haven't I? And then we submit ourselves to the plan of God to go and make disciples of Jesus Christ. So now, how are you going to respond to the message?